Hi, welcome to the Two Cents Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Mejia, and I'm with Lou Pendergrass. Hi. Uh, Lou, tell us your two cents. Okay, so for topics today, when Aaron was talking with me about stuff that I'd be interested in just ranting and raving about, one of the first things that came to mind was um, LGBT discrimination in the South. And why that came to mind is for two reasons. First of all, I just read an Apple News story on it. Second of all, (laughs) Uh, my family is from the South, and I am gay. So, kind of topically relevant, you know? I, I know very well. I mean, yeah. both of us are part of the LGBT. Yeah. Um, we don't live in the South. We actually <laughs> live in California, but... Best you know, state to be gay. Actually true. Um, weren't you, like, t- giving me an article to read? It was about yeah. uh, LGBT, like, non-discrimination so, protections, right? Yeah, so... Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> The South is very much a place where um, a lot of states can actually get away with legal discrimination against LGBT people. Um, And that's very often because of like legal loopholes found in the law and also because of the Constitution. Um, They often use the First Amendment, religious freedom as a reasoning for why they can discriminate against LGBT people and why they can exclude them from career paths, uh, from, you know, home ownership, renting, stuff like that. This is due to a lot of discomfort and, like, opinions from people, right? Yeah. Uh, I heard there was a bill somewhere in the South where you can actually, you know, tell someone, I don't want to sell to you because you are gay or trans. Yeah. Um, That's, that actually exists in a lot of states in the South. Um, and... There are in 28 states, most of them in the South, no explicit statewide laws that protect people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And that's in employment, housing, and public accommodations, which often public accommodations part comes in with, you know, going into people's shops, buying things and stuff like that. So these businesses can just regularly get away with refusing LGBT customers simply on the fact that, oh, my religion disagrees with it. So you can't. I mean, <laughs> no money for them, I guess. I, yeah, I it's, completely dumb. It's, I mean, it's, it's stupid, but I don't know. There's a lot of um, one of the biggest like bills that relates to this is Title IX, which came out in the 70s and is related to discrimination against like minorities. Um, it came about because of discrimination in sports as related to women and female athletes. But the thing is, a lot of states, especially more liberal ones, ones on the East Coast and the West Coast, tended to think that, oh, that also can encompass, you know, LGBT people, um, people who are like racial minorities and stuff like that. But a lot of Southern states have disagreed with that because it's not made explicitly clear in Title IX and in the wording of Title IX. So they just don't have those protections. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. It's, to this day, to this like, you know, modern day America, it's like 2020. I think a few states are like barely like, you know, going with the full non-discrimination protections, right? But there's yeah. still like a bunch of states that just do not care. Yeah. Um, there's one state. It's in the Midwest, um, Wisconsin, which allows uh, or which protects discrimination based on sexual identity, but not on gender identity. And 
just a lot of, like those 28 states I mentioned, all of them are in the South. No protections if you're gay, if you're trans. Um, and that's technically allowed by law. That's really interesting. Um, your family's from the South, if I'm correct. You know, how does it feel you know, to go to the South? How long do you like go there like, on trips, you know? Um, my family, so the last time I visited was actually for a family vacation um, last summer. And I wouldn't say that like the, the anti-LGBT you know, mindset is totally prevalent everywhere in the South constantly, but you definitely do feel like, it just feels like you're entering a different world. You see people with like NRA stickers and stuff like that all over their trucks or just stuff that's very, like I saw this one dude uh, on his truck, he had something like, uh, if the gays come near me, something like, if the gays come near me, I'll shoot at you or like gays are target practice or something. And so it's those like small things that you really do feel a lot when you're there. But it's not as if people are outright being like, you're a homosexual, get out. I mean, everybody, when you talk to someone even in modern day America, they're not outright crazy. But if you like start to just like have a conversation with them, you kind of see like, you don't really agree with each other. Yeah. And, you know, you have family in the South. So like when you're interacting with them, like, do you ever tell them that you're like, gay? Yeah, I, um... So I came out to my immediate family at the age of, I think like 11, almost after I, basically as soon as I figured it out. Um, I told my parents and I was raised in Chicago, way more liberal. They understood and they were very accepting. And that experience was lovely and amazing. But I haven't, I've yet to fully come out to my family in the South. Like they, they know just because of stuff my parents have posted on like Facebook or Instagram, but I haven't said it. And it's just something that's not talked about when I visit. So like, you know, I assume you're gonna tell them in the near future. I, yeah. it just, it honestly, it depends. The, I know they love me, but it's, their political ideologies and their religious beliefs are so against what I believe and what I stand for and are against even parts of me as a person. Some of them, not all of them. Some of them are lovely and amazing, but some of them are also extremely conservative, go to church like twice a week, um, very much uh, you're gonna burn in hell kind of Christian, except they don't say that outright to me. It's just, I know there's a constant like tension and knowledge of are different yeah (laughs) well it's just like the the constant tension of the differences in our experiences and the way we move through the world and the way they see me it's like they go to church and their pastor says all gays are gonna burn in hell they know i'm gay i have other gay relatives it's like all gays are gonna burn in hell except for my niece not her not that one but all gays are gonna burn in hell like they're nodding along with it it's it's a kind of a, a shocking experience anytime I go back. Your relatives that are gay, right, or they're part of the LGBT, I mean, what's it for them? Do you know, like, their struggles? Um, Do they live in the South? No, they, no. no. My, as far, I don't, I don't have a lot of cousins, or the cousins that I do have, we don't have a lot of, like, direct 
contact and interaction. But um, the other gay out family member that I have is my great uncle on my mom's side. And he was actually, he wasn't raised in the South, but he was raised in a very small, like rural town in Indiana in the Midwest, which very much has similar mindsets to the South. They're extremely, extremely religious. Uh, it's just something that you, if you are gay, you don't talk about it. And he was born and grew up in the 80s. He grew up in the, during the, the time of the HIV AIDS epidemic and he was figuring himself out and going to like underground gay bars at that time. And it was just, he lived in a very different world than I did, but now he lives here much happier. And yeah. No, um, taking a little turn. We're in California. Yeah. We're heavily democratic. Yeah. Very liberal. I think Super Tuesday has already happened. It's coming no, up. coming up. It's yeah. coming up. It's probably going to come up. Register to vote and Register. vote on Super Tuesday, which is March 3rd. Um, which is... If you're 18, please. It's going to be... This podcast is going to be out by okay. that, but... You know, hopefully you've Super already Tuesday. registered. Yeah, hopefully you already registered, but we're going to talk about, you know, the primaries. The Democratic primaries. Yeah, shifting gears, yeah. What's your stances? Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about each of these candidates, and I'm going to start at the bottom of my list with the candidates I hate. Well, hate is a strong word, but dislike dislike and disagree with the most. Um, And that's for sure at the bottom, Mike Bloomberg. He's absolutely trying to turn our country into an oligarchy. His policies are like... There's nothing that separates him from the rest of the moderate centrist candidates that are breaking up the moderate vote in the Democratic Party. He's non-exciting. And also, fun fact, if he spent $100 million every day from now until the general election, not the primaries, not when the primaries are done in June, the general election, he would still have $40 billion. I think that was the number. He would still be a billionaire, is the point. He's like, this is essentially a presidential, like it's a vanity campaign for president. It's completely ridiculous. He's not going to win the nomination, and he's only breaking up the Democratic Party even more. He's horrible. What, what policies do you like, disagree with? I mean, from Bloomberg. I mean, <laughs> I, I think the only like, oh primary that I've really looked up was you know, everybody except Bloomberg. Oh, I've seen worried. Bloomberg everywhere on the TV. It's like the hundred million dollars a day from ads. Yeah on any media platform well the thing is he has i don't understand he's actually for he has his whole thing especially you see it in his ads and on the debate stage it's very much i'm the one who can beat trump i'm the one who can do this i was a tough mayor in new york and i think what he the audience he's really vying for is democrats and moderates who are in blue states who are undecided coming up on super tuesday because that's where he's directed most of his advertisements to because you know he didn't qualify for any of the other previous primaries the caucuses so he's putting all this energy and money into super tuesday as the guy who can beat trump but honestly i don't think he would be a good person to run this country and there are a multitude of reasons why um he is very obviously a racist. You can see that in the stop and frisk policy that he employed when he was mayor of New York for, I think it was around 10 years. Just And he's recorded on tape saying like, 
you just go into the minority neighborhoods and you stop black and brown people and that's how you get the guns and that recording was leaked recently he's just and he he's an awful candidate and he really is he, it seems like he has a similar mindset to winning the primary as Trump did like almost I'm not politically correct I can you know take on the establishment but everybody's failed to realize he is the establishment I want to cut you off yeah, sorry. <laughs> so you're gonna. Uh, I can. Ra- I, I'm okay with this. Oh my this god, rant, Bloomberg's the worst. I'm sorry. Let's slow it down for our listeners. Yeah. You stated earlier. Um. Bloomberg's racist. Yeah. Bloomberg, you're making Bloomberg sound sort of like Trump. Basically. Yeah, he's the, the Democratic, Democratic Trump. Trump. Yes. I mean, I don't think he's gonna win. I don't. He's not gonna win. No, he's. Like I said earlier, he's running a vanity campaign. He's essentially doing this for his own uh, potential to gain power because he already has a crap ton of it. I mean, he's a billionaire, but this is like, there's no reason money-wise he would need to do this. He would need to go into the presidential position. And I don't believe there's a reason morally that he feels obligated to do this. I think it's just because he's a rich guy who is playing and flirting with the idea of being president. It's like a power trip for him. I don't know. My analysis of his brain. <laughs> Again, you also stated about Bloomberg, oligarchy. Yeah. You know, basically. Oh my God, he's an oligarchy. Rich people get the power. They yeah. should be in positions because they have all the money. That's basically what an oligarchy is. Right? Yeah. He's uh, so oligarchy is from the Greek, and it's what some city states had. It was basically like only rich and powerful people in powerful positions, the patricians can uh, run for elected office or should be elected, quote unquote, elected officials. Um, And Bloomberg is certainly an oligarch. And so is Tom Steyer, the other billionaire in the race, because they are people, and Bloomberg has said this repeatedly um, in interviews, that he admires the Singaporean, quote unquote, democracy. And in Singapore, I don't know if you know this, but they, it is an oligarchy. It's a one party system and they're like the, the people who are in power in Singapore are people who are the heads of massive corporations or are multimillionaires. And Bloomberg has stated his admiration for that. And Steyer, I mean, less obviously of an oligarch, but he's still very much, uh, a lot of the ads that he puts out are like, you know, I, I started my company from the ground up. I can do this. Like he's basing a lot of the reason why people should like him around his money and around his business. He's certainly a lot better than Bloomberg, but billionaires should not be running these vanity campaigns for president. Do you think these advertisements that I feel are t- towards like people who don't really know politics, politics right? Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like they're being lied to? I mean, we, we have a general idea that politicians lie, but do you feel like these ads are just Specifically, specifically yeah. false advertisement. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, yeah, because they're appealing to moderates or Democrats who are undecided voters who aren't really paying a lot of attention to politics, and they see, oh wow, there's this cool Bloomberg ad. He seems like a cool dude. But what he's not talking about in these ads is his stop and frisk policies, the multiple non-disclosure agreements he has against women who felt uncomfortable by sexual comments that he's made, which he did release three women from, but there are potentially dozens more that we don't know about. He's 
essentially putting on this facade for the general public who's not very into political discourse that he is the ideal candidate while also basically like hiding all of these bad aspects of his past and of his political ideologies. Um, it's really good to hear. I mean, you're talking a, a lot. Idea. You're talking a lot about, you know, rich guys running for politics and stuff. Shouldn't happen. Yeah. Shouldn't happen. It's happening anyway. All right. Besides rich white guys, who do you feel is the right candidate or the ideal candidate for the Democratic Party? Well, I have a lot of thoughts about this, oh, as I'm sure you know. Let me just roll up my sleeves here. I think that person is very clearly Elizabeth Warren. And Bernie Sanders comes in at a close second for me, but Elizabeth Warren far and away has the best, most thorough policies for government and for what she's going to do when she is in office. And Bernie Sanders, I agree with a lot of the policies that he has, but he hasn't faced a lot of scrutiny up until now, now that he's a front runner, for the fact that he has no plans. Like his healthcare plan, he got asked on 60 Minutes how he would pay for it and he was like, we'll figure it out do the math, we'll learn how to. It was very much a, a throwaway answer. And at the debate last night, he got attacked by, or at the debate, sorry, not last night, uh, the, the South Carolina debate, he got viciously attacked by other Democratic candidates, not Elizabeth Warren, because she wants to unite the progressive ring, wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, but a lot of other candidates on the stage were like, how are you gonna pay for that? And honestly, the fact that Bernie hasn't had to reckon with that shows the misogyny we have in politics to this day. Moving on to other candidates, you're very vocal about Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, I'm very vocal about my dislike of Pete Buttigieg. I honestly think he is, he's not as bad as Bloomberg. He clearly does have some passion for this. I mean, he was mayor of, you know, nowhere Indiana for I think like four or five years, whatever, how long his term was. So he has some like passion for politics, but I honestly don't think he truly cares that much about the American people. And I'll tell you why. There's a great many reasons, but I think the most prominent one that scares me um, about his presidency and the reasons why I don't think he cares about the American people is because he is basically, he's already gotten into bed with Facebook. He's met with Facebook executives and he's, uh, we don't know what happened because they're behind closed doors, but he's clearly open to working with these large tech companies who are, need I remind you right now, selling our data and also extremely um, uh, affect, affected by Russian bots, which are targeting our election right now and targeted our election in 2016. So if he's willing to have those kind of, con those kind of conversations with Facebook execs, then who's to say he's willing to, you know, make sure your data stays private? He also, um, I don't know if you heard about this, but the wine cave situation wine to cave raise pack money, that's ridiculous. That he is having wine cave meetings with a bunch of pack leaders and rich people to fund his campaign and if it were truly a campaign for the people and for the good of the American public he could fund it entirely on donations like Warren and like Bernie have. Next person, Klobuchar. Klobuchar is less irritating to me but that's mostly because she has no chance of winning. Uh, she 
has no standout policies other than the fact that she's from Minnesota and a woman, okay? And what else? There are far better qualified candidates in the race right now, and she just doesn't offer a lot to the American people. She also, in polling, generally only appeals to college-educated white women and some white men. She can't pull enough votes to win this election, and there's no way she would make a good enough president. She can't even remember the president, the name of the president of Mexico. And she, her whole thing at one of the debates was that she's a candidate who's been in politics before, who's worked with international leaders, who's been on all these committees, but she can't remember the name of the president of Mexico. How are you gonna be the president of the United States and can't remember the name of the president of one of our biggest allies? Look, so what? She doesn't know the name of the president of Mexico. They're poor, you know, who also doesn't like poor people? Joe Biden, let's talk about Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Let's finish this podcast um, up with Joe Biden. <laughs> or like, a high, I like to say it. Grandpa Daddy, Joe. No, Daddy, Grandpa Joe. Daddy Biden. Grandpa Joe. Daddy Biden. Okay, Grandpa Joe. Um, His entire thing is, I was the vice president under Obama. That's it. Crickets. That's it. Look. He took look, credit look, on you know the debate how, stage. You know Every single debate stage he's ever you know been on. He took vote? credit he for Obama's policies. He was the vice policies. president of the first black but president of the United States But he can't even have his own policies or his own positions on That's things okay. because we'll he's just, just taking Obama's, Obama's stuff. That's not what you should. That's if you are a good candidate for president, you shouldn't be running on another person's platform. You should be running on your own platform with your own ideas, which Joe Biden has none of. Sorry, He's Daddy not Biden. the worst candidate in the race. He's very much not the worst candidate. And honestly, I think our country would do just fine under Biden. It would basically be Obama 2.0, which I'm not mad about, but I think we can do a lot better. And I think we can do a lot better with Bernie or with Warren. I'm sorry, Daddy Biden. <laughs> Grandpa Joe. Like old times, you know? He can win the black vote, and I'm sure... When white people used to still have I'm sure he can win in South Carolina. I'm sure he's going to win in South Carolina because he only appeals to black people, um, black religious voters. So he can win that population, sorry, which is a very important one, but what else can he do? He's been tanking in polls. He was uh, far, far behind Sanders in Nevada, which is a majority minority state. And he was, I think he, he was like 20% behind in the Nevada caucus, behind Bernie. He just doesn't have support around and across the party to be able to back his presidential campaign. And that's where the podcast comes to a close. Lou, do you want to add anything? Do you want to ask me a question? Don't ask me a question. Please. I don't want to ask you a question, I but I do want to say if you are 18 and you're registered to vote, please vote for Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, check out their policies, look into candidates who actually appeal to you instead of following what some ad says, be more politically active because this is your future and this matters. What's your ad? <laughs> Dude, you got Twitter? You got uh, like a, you got I like have a... no Twitter, but my Instagram is at Loon Fairies. We'll make sure to type that out on the website. Thank you so much, Lou. Thank you for having me. <laughs>